Hi and welcome to The Cloud Show. My name is Jez Back and with me, as always, is my trusted co-host, David Organ. Hi, and in this show, we will take some of the key news that is hot around technology, especially in the cloud industry, and lift the lid to take a peek inside. That's right, I mean, we take a look at uh, each specific area and discuss around that in each episode. And this week, we're all about cloud and the public sector. And joining us today is a fantastic guest who's going to share their expertise in their particular field to get an insight and share their knowledge with you. We would love you to be involved on social media so it'd be great to hear from you. Just use the Twitter handles at Disruptive Live, at Compare the Cloud, and don't forget the hashtag, The Cloud Show. So let's get on with the show. Firstly, I'd like to introduce our guest. We have Dr. James Mitchell. He's the CEO of Strategic Blue. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, pleasure. So for those people who are not familiar, what does Strategic Blue do? So Strategic Blue are experts on the financial side of cloud. We offer a managed service that helps customers bridge the gap between how they would like to buy on the one hand and the more standardized way that the major cloud providers like Amazon, Azure, sell on the other. And the public sector, like many commercial organizations, has a particular way that they want to pay for stuff and contract for stuff. And we're able to help them with that with a combination of you know, consulting, upfront work, understanding what they need, what they're using, uh, what their issues are, and then um, literally we'll step into the billing chain and we'll buy from the cloud provider under one set of terms and we'll sell on a different set of terms. Brilliant. I think that's going to be quite useful for some of the questions later, actually, to yes. be fair. But before we do that, let's have a look at the news. David, tell me, what have you got that's hotter than the news this week? Right. It's Return of the Jedi. Oh. We previously discussed the joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure, or Jedi for short, in a previous episode. But it is back and still making headlines. All of the cloud companies lining up to bid on the 10-year cloud contract for the US Department of Defense will have to wait a little bit longer to learn exactly what the government is looking for in a cloud vendor. A Pentagon representative announced that it is due to intense interest surrounding the deal. It isn't ready to release the detailed requirements around its cloud computing needs. The request for proposals won't go out until later because it's important that we don't rush towards failure, according to a Pentagon representative, which in my opinion is probably a solid proposition for a military organisation, don't you? Yeah, I think you know, lots of helps for failure might be a bad idea. So come on then, James, what's your take on, on the ever-present, ever-rumbling Jedi contract? Well, I've actually taken a look at the RFP content itself and the, the objectives that they've published so far. Trouble sleeping? Well, I mean, I mean, not it, with that. <laughs> I mean, if if you read it, the existing arrangements for fighting wars are absolutely dreadful, and, and the US have got absolutely no capabilities. Which I, I didn't believe that that was the case. I thought that they were already <laughs> pretty good, world leading in many ways. Um, so it's a bit worrisome to hear that they, they're that worried about it. Um, but yeah, from what I can understand, they're doing a, a full blown proper public cloud tender. And from my own perspective, it's fascinating to see how many billing and pricing and procurement issues are, are outlined in detail in that document. So, so I, mean, I think that's the, the, the really key thing here is, I think a lot of the conversation here is not really around who can provide the infrastructure. And yes, it is some huge about revenues, but actually what the Pentagon are really looking for is, how can we control our spend and how can we reduce it because we've got so many different cloud vendors providing us so many different things we've lost control of cost. Well, that's what they're trying to say, but without saying it, how do we then go and start consolidating these things together? Now, there's someone in the room who might know a little thing about that. <laughs> so, I mean, what's your say? I mean, do you agree with that? Or, I mean, Well, so firstly, there are a couple of clauses quite clearly in the, in, the, in the tender that make it very clear that there's only going to be a handful of hyperscale vendors that 
have the scale to be able to respond to this. Mm. Um, they go out of their way to make clear this is not private cloud, this is not on-premise. Um, it has to be um, the same technically and from price point, the same as commercial cloud. And um, they have to actually report to the DOD that the amount that they are spending with them is less than half of the capacity for what they're doing globally, including commercial. So they really are only after the big boys. Wow. Yeah. Surely someone's going to bring us some sort of competition laws about this, saying, hang on, what about the mid-tier and the junior tier? About but they also again? don't want the vendor supplying the service to be entirely dependent on the contract. Well, yes, it's one of those things, isn't it? Um, you have to be massive to do that, so therefore you're going to cut out pretty much 90% of the, the world's companies who would want to offer it, and actually there's only two or three who are on well, actually, probably four. 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 Yeah, I was yeah. saying there's probably a fourth one that will probably sneak in there. <laughs> yeah. but, well, actually, there's a fifth one, but they would never go for them. It's called Alibaba. <laughs> I don't know yeah, why. That's very true. Um, well, no, that makes no no sense because like they're, they're saying that their allies and global partners are going to be able to use this cloud as well. Well, absolutely, but uh, I think there might be one or two moments to go with yes. that. Yeah. So it's, 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 kind of, it's one of those, those very strange scenarios that says, Actually, I think the DOD is going to have a whole bunch of... I think there's going to be a whole bunch of wrangles and legal fights on this to come. I don't think this is the last we've heard of the Jedi. Maybe the Force will awaken. Yes, 10 years for a 10-year contract. Yes. I, I, I have more faith in this than you do. I'm, I'm hoping that they've spoken to their colleagues at NASA that have been doing this kind of thing for years and years and years now. Um, there, are, there are ways and means of doing this for aspects of what they want to do. So I think it's a question of how successful it will be, not whether or not it will be successful. Yeah. So I think it's a question of scale, though. And I think that's, that's going to be the tipping point. Yeah. So I, I would agree. But I think it's time that we moved on to the main topic and that we, we, we actually sort of talked about the thing we're really here to talk about, aren't we? Yes, we're already so, there. Yeah, let's, let's move on to uh, what we're here to, do, to, to talk about today, which is cloud and the public sector. So the public sector has been viewed quite traditionally as being a bit of a slow or late adopter of technology. One could even argue that that's been no different for cloud. That being said, initiatives such as the, the government digital service in the UK have accelerated adoption, and it's easy to forget that many successes in the public sector have actually occurred with the adoption of cloud technologies and services. But the eternal question and the reality is will always centre on budgets, culture, and the winds of political change. But can government departments at central and local level do anything to achieve their outcomes in a different way. Now, from my perspective, the main drivers of change centre on increasing citizen demand for digital services, budgetary pressures, and the pace of technology change. Now, for citizen demand, we live in a digital world and citizens want to consume or access services on demand without having to write out loads of paper forms or sitting in automating call queues or having to go to a physical building. They want to do this stuff at home. And there's another challenge here, which is a paradox of, of expectation of data-driven analytics, which is hugely powerful for government organisations to be able to deliver these services, versus perceived personal data invasion, which I think will continue to persist. To persist. Now, in terms of budgetary pressures, this will never go away. Doesn't matter which government's in power, wherever you are in the world, there will always be budgetary pressure. So there's an increasing likelihood of integration and collaboration or sharing of services especially at the local level, to meet the challenge of increasing IT debt. But what can be done, and how can the technology sector assist the public sector in meeting these demands? Well, let's have a chat. Let's work this one out. Firstly, James, come on. Do you 
agree or disagree with my hypothesis. Actually, it's user-centric demand, it's budgetary pressure, pace of technological change in culture that is, uh, is the glue that people are, or rather the treacle that people are wading through for you know, central and local governments to be successful. So I'd say that, yes, because everyone's used to ever more digitized service and ever faster response and scalability and self-service, for, say, the National Health Service to roll out anything that doesn't have those attributes is frankly ridiculous. And in order to be able to serve that demand, they're either going to have to build out a huge amount of capacity in a mm. private cloud, not sounding like a very bright idea, mm. very expensive, or they're going to have to embrace the public cloud and actually share. I would say the idea of active collaboration between, between quite distinct government departments, probably unlikely to happen, but that's really the great beauty of the public cloud. The sharing goes on behind the scenes, and then everyone can tailor what they need with the benefits of the sharing in the background. Yeah, so I've taken a huge interest in, in healthcare in the public sector. And I, when you look at bringing um, a, a, a county council, a um, community social services, and a local hospital and police services together, yeah, and they, they form these things called MASH, yeah, which are mutualist assistance. I can't remember what it's called, but anyway, but they're called MASH. Uh, I never remember that acronym. But what, you know, actually that's when you're getting people from all those agencies actually working together. Mm. Now, that involves shared infrastructure, shared services, shared data, the rest of it. And the, the challenges around that are huge about getting people willing to share data. And I think, I think part of this is to do with um, an education moment that, where people don't really understand what they are and they aren't allowed to share and people are making arbitrary decisions because they say, oh, that's data protection, that sort of thing. But also, I think there's a bit of turf war, you know, proprietary stuff that goes on with that as well. So can you clarify that for me? Because I see there a big distinction between sharing data, like I have data that is useful to you, you have data that's useful to me, and we're exchanging data, versus having a shared service that we both need to use in a somewhat different way and trying to collaborate on well, investing in that. Because actually, it is sharing of actual data, but also it's sharing physical services mm. in order to make this thing work. So then, you know, there was a time when these organizations literally didn't have the ability to communicate with each other. Yeah. Which, you know, when you think about when you're dealing with people's lives, and the interventions you can do right up front, really early, actually, when you think about it, save thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of pounds down the line yeah. of additional interventions. Mm -hmm. And also, late intervention tends to be more expensive than early intervention, mm -hmm. you know, and all that sort of stuff. So, and then you, know, you could just carry on with the healthcare thing about, you know, GP surgeries, linking with local hospitals, but also linking with physiotherapists and mm -hmm. other types of care and the rest of it. Th those things have, have traditionally really, really struggled. Mm. Yeah, then you talk about you know, more traditional stuff. You know, what, what's, what's the problem with uh, county council? So you know, I live down in Torbay. You know, Torbay Council having shared services with South Hams and Teambridge you know, in the local area. That's where how they can save money. You know, mm. that, that's the shared services bit I'm yeah. talking about. You know, what, what's your view of those, those types of things? I think the main thing is it needs to be delivered by a specialist organisation that is looking at one particular problem that understands all of the data needs and protections for that particular problem that is then working with them as, as a client. Now that could be an internal client, it could be a public sector offering, or it could be, um, it could be someone using a, using a SaaS tool and offering that to these two customers. Um, most people will need some kind of tailoring and, and that's really one of the distinctions between everyone uses the term cloud but there's software as a service platform as a service infrastructure as a service and as you go from software down to infrastructure you can tailor it more 
but it becomes harder to use. Yeah, I, mean, I use the term configure because actually you, you've got the, the software as a service thing, it's pre-packaged, you, but you can configure rather, because otherwise people get really excited about the idea about bespoking things and that's just <laughs> the path to madness when it comes to cloud. Yeah. You, 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 that's where you rack up your costs. As I'm sure you've probably seen mm. people attempting to do and then cost them a, a fair chunk of change. Absolutely. No, absolutely. So, I mean, what, what was your take, David? I mean, Well, it's an interesting one because all councils will be responsible for their own budgets and they will want control over that budget, which mm -hmm. generally means they will want to put in their own requirements set mm -hmm. uh, and write their own RFP. So yeah. getting shared services, as you describe, across different government bodies, even if it is on a local scale, to then sit down and agree might be a drawn out and protracted and bureaucratic process in its own right, when one of the advantages of cloud is rapid adoption. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've had some painful experiences of, um, of drawn-out RFPs for cloud vendors where it is blindingly obvious to everyone involved who the leading vendors are, which ones are going to end up being selected. Yeah. But because public sector organisations are encumbered with um, audit requirements where you need to prove that you've gone out to the market, you've gone to a certain number of respondents, and you've done a like-for-like -like comparison between cloud providers that have probably deliberately structured mm -hmm. their services and their offerings and their pricing to not be directly comparable, you basically need to be a financial engineer in order to facilitate that comparison. Yeah, uh, this, I, this is a conversation I have with many people. The, the holy grail, which is having a comparative cost model between the three large vendors of, of you know, infrastructure in, in cloud. This was also the driving factor for the G Cloud in order to try and streamline and bring together this procurement process. Yeah. But having been through the G Cloud application process way back when it was G Cloud 1 and G Cloud 2, yeah. um, I don't know if it's improved very much. Well, it did get better. You know, it, it, it generally got well, better. Okay, so I can tell you as my company, we were on G Cloud 1. We did absolutely nothing for like five years. And then one of our public sector customers said, hey, it would be much better if you were on G Cloud. And so for G Cloud 9, we then joined it again and they're now procuring and through G Cloud. And they're now working. Now, do you think that was a case of actually the procurement teams within the government bodies getting to grips with it as opposed to the vendors being on it? I think it was just a case of maturation and people catching up. And you know, early on, the amount of cloud contracts that were frankly consulting and went to IBM <laughs> was very, very high. However, that initial groundwork seems to have led to actual cloud consumption. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. I think, there is, I think there's a level of maturation by government body, but also I think a lot of organisations have wised up on how to, how to mm. use the G Cloud contract more intelligently rather than... Th there was a lot of, you know, we've reimagined our contract, Read, We've just done a retread of yeah. what we've actually offered before and we've not really put it in the way in which G Cloud was asking mm. and actually the scope was pretty broad mm. and I, I, my experience when with the organisation I used to work for the, the, the take-up was initially slow but then there was this there was this inflection point and then suddenly bang it yeah it was going and it was and I, and I think that a lot of that was through maturation in the market mm. yeah and I think people you know the guys who were, who were in the GDS as was well, the government digital service as was well, had done as best a job as they could you know, to, to be able to encourage those things and make that change happen. So, but that's not just in the UK. I mean, you, you, you look across, you know, the, the, the world. I mean, Singapore, their government, huge amounts of cloud. They're really clever. They've got very tough laws. But, yeah. They've got very tough laws, but they, they are consuming really, really effectively. You look into the Middle East and they're consuming really effectively. 
you know, and obviously, you know, having just spoken about the US government, well, you know, that speaks for itself. Well, I mean, I think, I think the proliferation of cloud-first policies by the various governments have, you know, really said, this is okay to use, mm. this is a better way of doing it. Um, you know, it's not that you can't use private cloud, but you better be able to justify it. And I think it is much better to have to justify it that way around. Yeah, here is the reason why I won't share my toys. Yeah. And I, I think there's a certain element that the workforce now, as opposed to five years ago, has matured as well. I mean, the way in which we yeah. work, we collaborate, we communicate has changed and the tools have to keep pace with that. So I think the cloud first strategy that was set way back mm -hmm. in 2012 um, is now a staple. Yeah. Cloud first is doesn't have to be well, pushed. Actually, you're it, about it is, six years is not that long, actually. I mean, it's I, not, but in technical terms, it, oh, so it has been. Like eons, yeah. are, are you implying that in six years' time we're going to be grateful for, for GDPR as well? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a whole views about GDPR about saying this is just the beginning of a whole bunch of regulations. We of might have accepted it by then. Yeah, I yes. think people have got used to it by then. Um, but speaking about positive adoption uh, of cloud services in the public sector, do you have any examples of where public sector bodies have actually adopted cloud and it's proved to be a massive success? Yeah, I've got several. I, um, because I'm a scientist by background, I tend to have picked up you know, the more scientific examples of public sector usage. So CERN is, is one great example. Oh, cool. they, um, they regularly do these, these tenders for really demanding use cases for public cloud and go and really put them through their paces and they, they feed back that information into the, you know, in, 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 into, into the wider ecosystem um, at, a, at a more practical level that more public sector organizations are going to be, be able to relate to. Um, there's, uh, there's, there's part of DEFRA, um, the Animal and Plant Health Agency, that does some really valuable work in terms of looking at d disease proliferation among animals, foot and mouth disease, tuberculosis, that kind of, kind of thing. And they have a real requirement to be able to ramp up their simulations when stuff happens. And they do all of this in the cloud, but they're, they're, they're working under very tight um, very tight budgets where they've got a particular amount of money for a particular project uh, and they're very careful about using you know, spot instances on, on, on Amazon, turning things off when the price go, goes high and things like that and we help them to manage all of that and then where it gets really interesting is there is actually collaboration I know I said it didn't happen <laughs> <laughs> okay there is collaboration between a UK government agency and multiple UK universities where they're actually collaborating using the same Amazon accounts and they all contribute pots of money to it mm. and we help all of that money get to fund the same usage on the Amazon account. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's like you, we get all sorts of bizarre requirements from the public Almost sector universities. It's a consortium universities. model. It's literally a consortium. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, no, no, that's I like that. That is genuinely cool. You know, I think one, one of the things I, I really was really yeah, pleased to be involved in was um, yeah, helping UCAS. Yes. Um, and you know, they were having some troubles about scaling up for, for the university the, mission. The things. clearing day. And, and, and I worked with, with colleagues and we, you know, we helped fix that. And that was, I think that was a really good use case of when people were putting the posts to children about what cloud about bursting mm -hmm. and, and scaling up really, really quickly. That's what it was all about. It was really exciting. So I think there are some really good you know, examples out there in the public sector. I think one of the challenges is actually getting some of the organisations to make that leap now. That's kind of where I'm at. I mean, do, 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 you, I mean, do, do you think that, that governments themselves are doing enough to push that down into their departments? Or do you think this is just a, 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 a period of change? 
I think that it's a period of change. It's, it's the start of, frankly, a tidal wave. You know, you, you've seen the swell rise. They've they've set the cloud first policy. You know, that's tr trickling down into the into the, the smaller organisations that are actually implementing and doing stuff. And they have been going through and doing, frankly, the easier, more obvious examples first. You know, like standalone science projects and stuff. But they've been sorting out the the GDPR aspects of the data management, and now they're ready to move into the cloud. And there's best practice examples to follow. And there are um, there are Amazon, Microsoft, and Google partners that are there set up to bridge that financial and technical gap between how a public sector buyer needs to buy and consume, and the standardised ways that the cloud providers have to work, because otherwise it's not cheaper and it's not scalable. Pretty comprehensive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I find it hard to, to disagree with that, if I'm really honest. Um, Eminently I, sensible. Yeah. You've got to balance the commercial concerns of these large vendors who can't really modify their service for a particular client, even if it is a big client like a public sector body. Yeah. yeah. Um, otherwise, it breaks their model for the consumer or business market. Yeah. So, we, so we did a, um, well, I'm, I'm pretty proud of the piece of work, to be honest. We, we wrote a tender for one of the United Nations organizations, and they wanted to move you know, really wholeheartedly into the cloud with, with an awful lot of different workloads, like 90 or different workloads. And when you talk to everyone, you know, there's a particular way that they're expecting it to be done in the cloud. You just had to tweak the way that they describe everything so that you're not trying to tell a hyperscale cloud provider you should be doing it like this. Yeah. You know, don't don't so, tell so them what you need, what not how it should be done. Yes. Yeah. So outcomes driven. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's we've spoken we, about a lot. Yeah, we're, we're, I'm passionate about you know, the, 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 it all starts with business outcomes, then we can work back to the technology stuff from there. I think that's really important. Yeah. So do you think just very quickly, the cloud companies are doing enough to facilitate the public sector bodies? They go as far as they can, but the whole point is they're supposed to be offering a standardized approach and keeping the cost low for the benefit of everyone. What I think the, the leading cloud providers have done is they've created these partner schemes with um, specialists on the technical side, specialists on the financial side, that's us obviously. <laughs> um, and they, they I mean, we, we, we literally get introduced into, say, Amazon customers that need the finances done in a particular way and we literally get handed this customer and saying, please, can you help this out? We know you'll be able to transact this faster than we can. And we, we literally get introduced in with a, with a very warm introduction. And but, but there are organizations you know, who have got, who basically said, right, scale, specialize, or shut down. Right, actually, we're going to specialize. And they said, we're only going to do UK government infrastructure hosting. You know, UK Cloud is an example of that, you know, is, as an example. There are others, you know, other, other companies are available. Um, and what, there are people out there who are now focusing very hard on just doing pure public sector enablement. Yeah, and you've got whole divisions, and yeah. when you look inside Microsoft, they've got a whole division which is now purely about public sector. And I, I think this is where Microsoft is actually beginning to steal a bit of a march, actually. Mm. You know, they, they, had, they had those public sector bodies early on with the whole Windows domination kind of bit. And they, they went, well, we're not going to relinquish this by letting this wither and die on the vine. We're going to put a whole bunch of effort in helping organizations move to Office 365, mm -hmm. Azure, and all the associated services around it to keep them in. Well, it's not forgetting the aspect of digital transformation. Mm. Yeah. The gov government is going through that process, and I think that's where the specialization, the specialist teams that can actually go in, provide that advisory role, using the existing tools, mm -hmm. but presented and adapted to suit 
the the specific needs of that industry or the public well, sector. I mean, to take Microsoft as, as an example, I think that the, the new initiatives they're doing with the new CSP program yeah. and with the reserved instance, well, you put those two in combination, they're really enabling the channel, they're offering good incentives that, that fund these specialist partners to work with particular types of organisations where they have long-standing arrangements because there, there is nothing quite like having a long-term arrangement in terms of account management and knowing the organisation and knowing how you need to interact with it in order to get stuff done. Yeah. And that's the real benefit of these partners. Cool, right. Enough. I think that, that's, that's a serious no, no, bit. No, no. That has been generally, we've got to go for the longer on that one. However, it is time for the world famous Cloud Show Sci Fi quiz. So, five questions here. Shout out if you know the answer. Um, basically, this is going to test well, you know, your, your, your nerdiness value, really, which, you know, for me, it's kind of important that you, anyone who's working in technology needs to have a certain level of sci-fi capability. So the first question we've got for you, 80s classic question, what is the film title of, uh, well, sorry, what film title is the sci-fi character Ben Richards better known? And I'll give a clue. It was, uh, there was a book, it was actually based on a book written by a very famous author under one of his pseudonyms. I've got no idea. Richard Lackman was the was the, the pseudonym that helps you know. Oh, bit of a legend. Yeah, it was. It, it, Arnie played him. It was Ben Richards, the butcher of Bakersfield, in The Running Man. Ah, oh, oh, see, absolutely classic. Wow, okay. I to see you eat that contract. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> who loves you and who do you love? Oh. Absolutely. Yes. Okay, go on. So, uh, in which post-apocalyptic sequel? Um, movie ends with the line he lives now only in my memory a line stolen in titanic i'm gonna go with something too yeah well good strong um <laughs> terminator 2 no back to the future Ooh. should we give him a little hint go on a little hint famous australian actor Has he got long claws at all? No, <laughs> no, no, completely wrong. No, I'm gonna have to give up on that oh, one too. So that, that was Mad Max, the Road Mad Warrior. Mad Max too. Yes. I saw that recently. I did not pick up. On see, that. see, it's the little girl at the end. It's like you've got to pay more attention. Yes. Yeah, so you, you don't just enjoy it. You need to learn all of the words in the script. Okay, American blockbuster time now. Which alien invasion movie begins with the line, "If this isn't an insanely beautiful woman, I'm hanging up." Well, let's see, we've got Independence Day to choose from. No, I'm not getting the right vibe with that one. Uh, well, so, you know? Not so Independence Day? Well, is that a question or a statement? Statement. There you go, yeah, 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 yeah. What happened? Yeah! yeah. It was a list on. of one. Excellent, brilliant, <laughs> no, we'll go there. Okay, go on, next one. So, how much electricity is needed to power the DeLorean time machine in Back to the Future? Classic, everyone, surely. Oh, it's one, one lightning strike. Well, but, but you, you but want that as a quantified... Yes. How much power? How much in gigawatts? Right, okay, you're going for a capacity measurement. Okay, so an electron is not multiplied by that. It's just like <laughs> five gigawatts. Ooh. No, it's far, far too much. Far too much. Yeah. 1.21 gigawatts. 1.21? gigawatts? Really? Gigawatts. It, it gigawatts. 1.21 gigawatts. So, Star Wars question now. Okay, I might be better. Okay, that. so which Star Wars character's name was derived from the Sanskrit word for warrior? 
I definitely don't know the answer. I'm going to guess Anakin. No. Oh, no. Yoda, it was. Really? Yes. Mm. It was. Ooh. It was Yoda. There we go. Oh, well, one out of five. five. Don't out worry. It's better than zero. Don't worry, it's better than zero. You're, you're not at the bottom of the tree, so you're a little bit... Where were all the Red Dwarf questions? I would have been fine with that. Well, oh, see, if you came on another episode, then you know, <laughs> you'll, you'll get some Red Dwarf questions like where all the calculators go. Oh. Which is clearly Silicon Heaven. Silicon Heaven, yeah. You know, but you know, there we go. Anyway, that was fun. What did you think? Yes, get in touch with us on Twitter using the hashtag TheCloudShow if you want to discuss the topics or even something else. We'd very much love to hear from you. Thanks very much to our guest, James. Thank, Thank you, you very sir. Much. Yeah, and many thanks to you for watching, if indeed you still are.